This podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Let's face it, your code is going to have errors. Even code written by an amazing, outstanding, meticulous developer such as you. I know. But when bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Sustain listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Sustain when signing up, and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. Use Honey Badger. It'll make your DevOps awesome. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where are we going? Where did we come from? Why is there a fork stuck in my leg? That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about forks, not the metal kind, nor the kind for eating, but rather the git kind, I'm assuming. To talk about that, we have Sheree Joe. Sheree Joe is joining us from San Diego, where she's waiting for a visa to go back to Toronto, where she's starting in the fall. Welcome, Sheree. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So, Sheree, you've been working on forks for a while. Can you talk to us a bit how that happened? I believe that was your PhD thesis, right? Yeah, my PhD thesis is about improving collaboration efficiency for people who are using forks, or we call it uh, who are using fork-based development to build software systems together. And the story starts, actually, it was my PhD advisor's background. His research background was software product line. So it means uh, there were a family of software systems that's similar but slightly different with each other and due to different kind of requirements. And uh, so what we are thinking is, can we treat the forks on GitHub as different software projects. So what we want to do is we want to treat the GitHub repository and the corresponding forks as a software product line. And we are thinking, how can we maybe merge these kind of forks together? And can we extract the differences between different forks? And can we kind of merge different features from different forks together to build a different, uh, build a new product? And so the beginning project was I tried to identify the differences between different forks and try to merge them together. So you started off by trying to merge together forks. Yeah. Now, isn't that the thing that everyone tries not to do? Isn't that why like GitHub made it really easy to make a, a pull request? What do you mean when you say you tried to merge together different forks? Just like you, oh. you chose random ones off the web and tried to join them? No, the goal is not to merge everything into the one uh, main repository. The goal is to build a software product line. It's like uh, build a family of repositories, a family of products together. And uh, each product has some common features that all the products should have. And also you should have some individual features to fit special uh, requirements. It's like if you think about a printer, like the HP printer, there are different versions and you want to have some core features you also want to have some specific features for, for a specific uh, version of the product. So, that's, a, okay. that's a good analogy. I got that. Being a uh, Windows system IT guy, I've seen my share of HP printers. <laughs> so where did you get your initial forks that you were trying to merge then? W where was the initial database seeded from? 
Oh, we just queried a GitHub and try to get to download a lot of works about Y repository, and we try to see what are the common code and what are the code that only exists in certain forks. And then we want to kind of keep the common code and then use the if else and to wrap these differences in different forks. And for that, we want to kind of build a software product line. Our goal is not to merge everything to the main repository at that moment. Got it. Okay. So can you explain to me what you mean by if else? You mean just condition statements? Like just yes, because we want to put them together. And like, for example, for HP version one, we want to have this feature. And for HP version two, we want to have that feature. And if this is clearly defined, we could give the feature a name, right? But for the forks on GitHub, we don't know what are these forks. And we only know the diff between the fork and the main repository. So uh, the first step for me is I just get all of, download all of the repositories and then I get the div code and then I wrap them using if else. And then I think I, we, we could say that these codes belong to these forks and these codes belong to that fork. And the problems, we don't know actually what have been really implemented in each, each of the forks. So we think, okay, let's step back. Let's not to think about merge the code together. Let's think about what have been implemented before. And so this is actually the first publication we have is to identify features in forks. Because we found some of the forks, they have implemented multiple features. They haven't been implemented, uh, have been in, integrated into the upstream. And um, we need to figure out what are the features and how can we split them and, uh, in the abstract way or in a modular way. So what's really interesting to me is that you're talking about merging together multiple forks from different projects. And now you're saying, oh, well, we need to figure out actually what's in these forks and what features are there. And that seems to me to be a very hard problem. So as someone who's worked with a lot of forks in the past, the hardest thing to do as a maintainer is figure out what is actually going on. Why is this fork here? And so you're trying to do that without the domain knowledge of a maintainer. Didn't you find that very difficult to do? Yeah, so we are not a domain expert. And what we want to do is try to summarize these code changes. And we treat the code as kind of plain text. And we try to extract the keywords because the assumption is if you want to implement a feature, you might name the function or you might name the variable with the keywords in it. So with this, we could kind of abstract or we could summarize some of the keywords what have implemented in a fork. So you're right. So because like GitHub makes this fork-based development super easy to draw, you just click the button, you will have your own fork. And everybody could have their own forks, right? And the problem is with the number of forks increases, people lack of the overview. It's hard to maintain an overview of knowing who is working on what and what are the useful features. And are these forks are all useful or are some of the forks that's just for personal use, some of it's just for backup, or some of them it's really implementing features or fix significant bugs, something like this. So what you're saying is it's sort of like a blessing and a curse because, you know, I've seen with the emergence of GitHub, you know, I think it's going on 12 years now. It's made maintainers' lives easier as well as harder because forking is just a click of a button rather than you know, submitting a patch via email like the Linux kernel. So what frustrations have, I mean, you seem to be the FARC expert. That's why we're having you on. What frustrations have you seen from maintainers? You know, I think you wrote a GitHub bot. Maybe you could talk about that. Maybe that has to do with this frustration. Let me start from the other paper, actually. This is a great point. So 
the latest publication we were studying is trying to see what has been changed in this fork-based development. So before GitHub has emerged and people are using uh, maybe mailing list and the forum to discuss what we need to fix and what kind of feature we want. And people just send their patch right by the email and send to the mailing list. And the maintainer will go through the code and with the description all together in the mail and to decide whether we want to merge it or not. But uh, after GitHub has merged and everything just becomes so easy, they define this kind of processes of forking and merging and through pull requests. And by reading the literatures and also the studies before GitHub, we found that people are actually against forking. Although the forks are, give people a lot of freedom and this open source, the freedom in open source and the people could try whatever new idea they want. But at that time, forking was a weighty decision. So whenever you want to fork a project, you mostly people want to replace the original one or supersede the original one, or there was a, some disagreement between the maintainer and the developer. So they create a fork, they go to a different direction. And uh, after uh, GitHub, and uh, we found the forking mechanism is still the same, that they clone the repository and uh, they have their own fork. But GitHub rephrased it as, if you want to contribute back to the community, please fork it. So actually, you can see that motivation has been changed. And around this kind of motivation and people, the goal for fork a project have been changed. And how people are using forks have been changed. And yeah, it's been uh, really interesting to watch that because in the past, you used to literally have large patches. And you still do if you're working on, like, say, the good kernel with Linux, right? Or Linus. So he's still in charge of every single patch in the mailing list, which is intense. But on GitHub now, just cloning it using the online UI makes it a fork. So there's thousands of different forks for every single project. So when you talk about forking and going forward, what you're really talking about here isn't necessarily that, but also adding code to a different fork and making the code different. And then maybe opening a pull request, which used to be called a patch back in the days, and then trying to figure out what's different about these different forks. One of the questions I have that keeps coming up is that a lot of the times to making a fork in general is a political decision. It's very much, you know, I don't like where the previous direction was and I want it to go here. It's not necessarily I want to make a feature. Probably the most famous example I can think of is IOJS in terms of the, the JavaScript world, because that was just Node was like, we can't deal with this anymore. And so Michael Rogers and some others built this other fork of the entire project that went along for a while until they had a huge political upset and tried to figure out how do we merge these things back together. Did you deal with any large projects like that and tried to identify what was going on in those large forks as opposed to smaller, just feature forks? Uh, we don't kind of distinguish different forks at this moment. And one of the future work is, I think was super interesting, is how can we identify the intention behind these forks? And we want to identify the forks that they are implementing features that could benefit a larger community. And uh, to answer your question, so the paper that we published in the first, in 2018, was identifying features in forks. And these forks are all kind of the GitHub style forks. And we actually define these kind of forks as social forks because people create forks and then maybe the goal is to merge back. And uh, after we I tried to distinguish the forks that before and after GitHub, we found there are two types of forks. And we define forks that create a fork and go into a different direction and never come back. We define this as a hard fork. And we define the GitHub style fork as a social fork. So we try to study how many hard forks have been happening in GitHub. And we found that the number is still rare as compared to the social fork, but we still find a lot of cases. 
And actually, we have mined GitHub repository and by uh, keyword matching and also compare the differences between the fork and the upstream, we actually have found around 15,000 forks that kind of a potentially hard fork candidates. And it means they are going to a different direction. They never kind of merge back or they rarely communicate or interact with the original project. So we want to treat a forks that's going to a different direction as kind of a fragmented community. But actually, these fragmented communities, they have a lot of in common. We have seen some pull requests happening in one community and have been submitted three years later, exactly the same feature. And so we are thinking if there's a way we could build bridges between these disconnected communities and we could benefit a larger community, not just one community, one repository with lots of forks. I know the title to this podcast, and it is going to be Social versus Hard Forks with Sheree. I've never heard of Social Fork. Have you, Richard? I've heard of Hard Fork a lot. Um, but no, largely social. Because it's using Ethereum. I haven't heard of Social Fork, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's genius. It's just like I, when you said that, I was like, oh, wow, that's what it is. It's a Social Fork. So yeah, can I get to one thing that's related to this? One thing that caught me in the show notes, for those listening, we get you know some pre-show notes that we go over with the guests. Said 290 projects on GitHub, 23% are rejected to redundant development. Go into that. What does that mean? And it, does that have to do with the GitHub bot? I, I really want to go over the GitHub bot, as you probably know. Yeah, great point. So the fork-based development uh, that on GitHub, the problem is when the number of forks increases, people found it's difficult to maintain an overview. And this kind of problem leads to a few further limitations or inefficiencies. Like one of the problem is they don't know who is working on what. Then the second problem is that people are implementing similar functionalities without knowing each other. Then the researchers have found that kind of Whenever there is a pull request have been identified as a duplicate, there is already two to three participants join the discussion and there are already a few comments have been left. And actually, if you think about this, this is kind of a waste of effort from both the developer and the maintainer's perspective. So we were thinking, can we identify this duplicate pull request as early as possible? And with this, we could help them to save some effort. So this is kind of another paper you've mentioned, and we are trying to build a, a GitHub bot on that. And we try to monitor the incoming pull request for each of the repository, and we try to see if this pull request is duplicate or not. Let's face it, your code is going to have errors. Even code written by such an outstanding, meticulous, totally awesome developer such as you. But when bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time, with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code, so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Sustain listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Sustain when signing up and they'll apply the discount directly to your account. No credit card required. 
Use Honey Badger. It'll make your DevOps awesome. What I really like is the idea of, say, just categorizing what forks are and how they're different, and then categorizing pull requests and making sure that people aren't duplicating effort. I think that's really awesome. It's also really great because you're not just making abstract statements about anthropological studies of GitHub, but trying to actually build tools that'll help people save time and, you know, in general, save resources, which is just fantastic. Efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency, but not just in the, you know, yay capitalism kind of way, but hypothetically in a actually saving people's extra well, open source time. This, like the main well, issue with open, go it's ahead. Gonna, it's going to create sustainability, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Continue. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. So one of the questions I have is I keep going back in my head to the political aspect, right? I would have hard forked some of the repos I maintain a whole lot earlier if I was able to bring the stars along with me but I wasn't able to. So a lot of these are like list repos, right? I maintain a few of them and I'm the main maintainer at this point and have been for years. But if I were to hard fork it, I would lose all the watchers, all the stars, and I would signal to every single one of those people that I'm kind of a selfish guy who wants stars. I mean, I'm not saying it's a huge need of mine, but it's just a little tiny thing where it's like, well, I'm the only maintainer for this thing. Can I just ask for them to transfer it to me or something? Or should I hard fork? Uh, it's too much effort. I wonder... Have you run across that phenomenon? Because it's kind of something that I've been really embarrassed about for years, but I suspect it's common. Yeah, I, based on my observation, I have to, I've talked with a few uh, hard fork maintainers and also the, the maintainers who have been hard forked. And I think this is a common discussion, but different people have different reactions. So for some of the maintainers, as you mentioned, they want to maintain their fork. They want to keep everybody on board on their own or sustain every, everybody on, around their community. They don't want people to hard fork and to fragment the community, go to a different direction. And I've also talked to some of the maintainers. They are saying that I'm quietly open to somebody fork my project and go to a different direction. I'm happy to just contribute to their community and maybe drop off my own. Maybe there are some politics behind that or there are different intentions behind that. But I think one of our solutions is trying to kind of maintain or treat all of these fragmented communities as a larger community. And there's a trade-off between kind of a generality and a specificity, right? You want to have specific uh, features that is kind of the highlighted in your own community. And you also want to know who is working on similar features, maybe your community and then the other hard fork or have some common significant or serious bugs and you want to know if somebody else have fixed that in that community you want to put it back right so if there's a way we could maintain a community we could maintain an overview for the larger community for these all fragmented communities and we can have some connections in between and then that will kind of maybe help to solve this problem so if you're appealing to people's sense of larger community are you working that into your GitHub bot with the idea of like trying to make sure that people know that you're not coming in and trying to shut down their political divisions, but also, you know, appealing to them individually? Like, how are you dealing with the political side of things? Are you trying? <laughs> no, I'm not helping with, I'm not dealing with the political side, but what I'm trying to do is to just raise the awareness of what's happening in different forks. And I try to cool. tell them that there is a fork and there is this feature. And actually, recently, I've talked with another uh, project maintainer, and he's kind of a hard fork maintainer of one large project. And that there are multiple hard forks working on similar features, but with different requirements. And the requirement from him is like, can you help me to know who is working on what feature in other community? I want to learn. 
I want to know. Actually, these sub-community are kind of competing with each other. But this is another ecosystem. They are under an umbrella project. Then they, they need to know who is working on what. They need to synchronize with each other. What is this project that you're referring to? So basically, this is a repository. It's a platform on GitHub. And every it's about the web, a cloud service. And the, each of the company who had a cloud service or cl- platform, they had a repository under this big account. And they are trying to build an API between the cloud service and this uh, platform. And people could easily kind of call or use this uh, cloud service through this API. And uh, each company is maintaining a separate repository. And uh, they want to know what other companies are working on. <laughs> and uh, they want to learn from it. But it's kind of a competing with each other. This brings me to a really good question, which is, how many hard forks have you found where it's just some company that wants to do something fast? Versus like a group of community members who are interested in building out a feature, or having it go in a different direction. How many times do you see like a company decide we need to have this under our own wheelhouse and fork it and then develop independently without going back? Have you this seen is that occur? Important. I actually, I haven't distinguished the author behind this hard forks. I think this is a great future work I need to distinguish. And I know a lot of hard forks like previously before the GitHub, like the Jenkins was a hard fork of Hudson. That was because that people uh, after Oracle get some and they want to maintain or keep the Hudson project within their pocket and the people are not happy about that, then they create a hard fork. And actually, eventually, uh, Jenkins was the one that's still alive and the Hudson just died. Right. Well, that's interesting because I've always noticed that when you fork something, the community does not come with it. Now, in Hudson and Jenkins' case, the founder was the one that did the hard fork. So that sort of clout and influence moved over to the next clout. And I think there's also like a screw Oracle kind of vibe going too. So yeah, so I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because there are exceptions to the rule. When you fork something most likely the community is just going to be really fragmented, except with this, you know, this little outlier that, you know, prevailed. And CloudBees, I believe, is the company behind it. So they built like a business behind it. So, you know, there was a lot of... it depends. Because, I mean, other hard forks where the company, where people do come along and the community does come along is cryptocurrencies, right? So Ethereum's Mm -hmm. been through a lot of hard forks. And those hard forks are generally, if you don't come along with this, you may lose your stake in the game, right? So yes, there's Ethereum Classic where some people go along, but that's like 17 forks back. I don't even know how many forks Ethereum has had since then. And so if you incentivize the hard fork, then people come along with you. If you don't incentivize it with other social parameters, then people are more likely to ignore it. Does that sound about right? Exactly. And uh, as I mentioned, the Jenkins and Hudson story also still happening in GitHub. And one of the uh, hard fork maintainers I've talked with is he is maintaining and machine learning related project. And initially their goal is trying to merge their uh, features back. And he found that after three months, he submitted the pull request, no response. And then he decided, okay, let me maintain my, my own one. And uh, he didn't know when sometimes his repository became a trained repository on GitHub that everybody just moved from the other one to his new fork. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is getting the upstream, you know, pushing back to the upstream. But as I said, Oracle has this really bad reputation with the open source community. You know, 
with MySQL. And that's why MariaDB did their fork. And I think they're just not good at open source, among other things. But yeah, I think that is definitely a success story in terms of hard forks is the Hudson and Jenkins story. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. One thing we've studied the, to compare the difference between the hard fork and the social fork before and after GitHub is maybe before GitHub, people create a fork, they have the, already the intention of going to a different direction to, to fragment the community. But we found the hard forks on GitHub is they don't really have the intention of directly going to a different direction. And they, they create a fork and they try to do something. And if, for example, there is bad management strategies from the core team members and, or from the core team, they decided to go to a different direction. So it's not like the original one that they have the idea in the beginning that I want to split the community. Which was kind of like, as, as Richard brought up earlier, it's kind of like the io.js and node.js. That was actually successful. It actually, you know, they merged the upstream, both projects, and it, I think it made a really big change in the organization and the governance structure. But yeah, I mean, those are two examples out of many that are not good examples or failures. But I think that it's interesting that you were able to do this research, especially as your thesis, because I think this is one big problem within the open source community in terms of sustainability is this fork issue, because most likely the community is not going to come with it. It doesn't matter how much people want to basically fork. It's the brand name and the influencers that are behind the project that people are going to stick with. So I was so excited to talk to you because when Bogdan, is it, I forgot, is it Bogdan or Bogdan? I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Bogdan. Bogdan. Okay. Thank you. So I think that, you know, him bringing you to us, I was just like so excited because forking is such a big thing. And you bringing the social fork and hard fork, I just, it just really opened my eyes. So I really appreciate you coming on and, you know, opening my eyes to all this. It's really interesting. I have a future question. So you've done work on forks that are different. You've identified how forks are different. You're working on who makes different forks. A lot of forks going on everywhere around the table. Have you tried? making forks yet because repos are often very similar and so it shouldn't be that hard to merge together repositories that don't have a shared background if you look at the code base for instance there's a million javascript tools that could be easily ported into go or into typescript or could be just combined because they're all just duplicates of the same thing i don't know how many like is a number type modules there are on npm so have you tried doing that and deduplicating the world as well making more forks I'm not sure if forking is the right direction or right answer to kind of maintain different uh, forks uh, or different features or duplicate features, something like that. But I think, uh, as I mentioned, we want to kind of uh, have a platform, for example, to maintain or to monitor the differences between the fork and the upstream and also the difference between fork and fork. And uh, if we found there are some similar features not just pull requests, there might be some similar features. If we could maybe notify these two developers that, hey, somebody else is working on similar features. Do you want to talk with each other before we finish everything? And that might be kind of an ideal solution to instead of people are implementing similar functionalities without knowing each other, and then they submit a pull request, then got rejected. 
Awesome. Well, I look yeah, forward to that maybe possibly happening. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but maybe down the future. So I think that would definitely have to be a core feature because if it was like a plugin, no one would, I mean, it would, I guess the word of the day is fragmentation. It would just be a fragment in terms of making that announcement. And I think that down the line, once Nat Friedman listens to the podcast, he'll go, oh yeah, we need to get that into the product core. So, Well, we've uh, known about this for a while. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a GitHub thing. It's just a overarching code thing. And it may not be possible until we have AI, right? Yeah. I, I almost did a PhD thesis in this 10 years ago at Edinburgh. I didn't do it because I decided not to do an informatics thesis. Although I'm really glad that people like you exist to do those things because they're really great. But it is possible to look at languages in, and code in general and make abstractions about it and then decide whether or not they're similar. And so that just seems very similar to me to doing any sort of research on forks because you're looking at code and how it's related to other code that may or may not be similar. And so I'm just very, I'm always very curious, how can we make it easier on everyone by just stopping us all recreating the wheel? Kind of cool. The GitHub bots that I mentioned, we try to monitor the duplicate pull request. And actually one of the future directions is we want to monitor the unfinished pull request before people submitting pull requests. And can we monitor the code changes in the fork and in the branches? And can we find some duplicate or potentially related? So one thing is not just duplicate pull requests. It's interesting. There are multiple relationships. For example, when we identify some duplicate pull request and we leave the comment to the developer saying somebody else has submitted a similar pull request and maybe duplicate with yours. And that kind of triggered a long discussion among the community. They don't even know whether these pull requests are duplicate or not. And then I think this is also useful, although they are actually, turns out it's not duplicate, but they're related. They should be reviewed or they should discuss together before submitting a pull request. And this is one of the future directions I want to go. Love it. Also love it. Thank you so much. Where can people find you on the internet? How can they learn more about this research? How can they follow your Twitter, Facebook, whatever? Yeah, I have my Twitter account. It's uh, S-H-U-I, S-H-U-I Blue, Shui Shui Blue. And also I have my website. Yeah, I think these are the two main uh, places you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Before we end out, it's time for Spotlight, where we highlight particularly awesome things that we think need light, projects that have helped us along the way, or anything related to sustainability, really. Justin, what do you got for us? This weekend, I am rescuing a golden doodle puppy. And I want to tell everyone that before you purchase any dog training videos, YouTube has some really great content. And I've been learning how to make them sit and lay down and listen to me. So I'm not delusional. I know this is going to be a really fun experience, but also challenging. So YouTube dog trainers, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. My spotlight today is the Library of Babel. You can find this at libraryofbabel.info. And this is based off the Borja story, the Library of Babel, which is probably my favorite short story in existence. I was reminded of it today because of The Garden of Forking Paths, which is another of his fantastic short stories about an infinite garden. But the library of was set up by a really awesome guy who basically said, let's create an infinite library on the web. And so every single book that's ever been written is somehow included in this library. And the code is actually pretty cool if you take a look at it. It's kind of a fun project looking at weird, magical realist, fantasist writing from Buenos Aires and Borges. Highly suggest you both read Borges and check out this website. Sheree, what do you got? So I want to mention two repositories on GitHub. They are 3D printer firmware communities. One is called Marlin. Another one is called Smoothieware. 
And the reason is actually, I have talked to a lot of developers in these two communities and they are super nice to me and they tell me a lot of stories and help me. I cannot reach today without their help. And I got a lot of information and help and feedback based on my observation. And uh, when I give them my tool and ask them to give me a feedback, help me to evaluate it, there's just a lot of people helping me on this. And uh, I want to thank all of these contributors and developers in these two communities and also many other communities and team members who have helped me during my PhD, actually. And also, I want to thank all my collaborators like Bogdan and Christian, my PhD advisor. And without their help, I cannot achieve this. And also, I have a lot of collaborators, co-authors from different communities and different universities. And uh, this is not just my work. It's everybody helped me and we collaborate together to achieve this. Sounds like open source to me. Collaboration is the name of the game. That's awesome. Thank you for collaborating on this podcast. It was great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. 